The Quantum Leap Podcast is proud to bring you an interview with Matt Dale and Kevin West, the creative team behind the upcoming Quantum Leap book, Beyond the Mirror Image, an observer's guide to Quantum Leap. Author Matt Dale launched the Doctor Who website millenniumeffect.co.uk in 1998 and has been writing detailed analysis of TV series ever since. He's most well-known for covering Doctor Who spin-offs Torchwood and the Sarah Jane Adventures, the Saw films, and the Jeff Wayne concept album The War of the Worlds, amongst other things. Kevin West has been Matt's collaborator for 20 years, contributing articles to TME and creating TME books in 2006. Matt came up with the idea for Beyond the Mirror Image after decades of knowing a little bit about Quantum Leap and waiting for an official book that would tell him everything. While he waits, he has written this unofficial but extensively comprehensive show guide. And both Matt and Kevin have taken the time to tell us all about it. So please listen as the Quantum Leap podcast takes you Beyond the Mirror Image. And on the phone with me now is Matt Dale. Matt is the author of Beyond the Mirror Image, The Observer's Guide to Quantum Leap. And joining him is his partner in publishing, Mr. Kevin West. Matt, Kevin, welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks. It's an honor. Hello. 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 I have to tell you something, Matt. When you reached out and you requested that we talk to you about Beyond the Mirror Image, I said, don't we already have two or three Quantum Leap reference books. And I was wondering, what could possibly give him the idea to do another Quantum Leap reference book? But then I saw the scope and just the breadth of information that is in Beyond the Mirror Image. Can you give our listeners an idea of what they can expect to find in Beyond the Mirror Image? Yeah, absolutely. It's a fair question. And it's one that I've been asking myself all along, really. There's episode guides out there. And they've generally got a little bit of information in there, nice tasters and introductions to the show. What I wanted to do was something that was really completely all encompassing. I get quite obsessive when I get into a show. I like to know everything there is about it. And I get quite lazy as well. And I like to be able to go to a single place, maybe a single book or a single website and devour it all. So I've always been into Quantum Leap, but I went through a bit of a period of major rediscovery about a year and a half ago. So tell us, what was your inspiration for writing this book? The inspiration was really looking at some of the fantastic episode guides that are out there for other TV shows. My geekery knows no bounds. I'm a big fan of a lot of other shows. And there's some really some fantastic, all-encompassing books out there that have got everything in them, including the kitchen sink. And I looked at Quantum Leap, and I love Quantum Leap, and I felt there wasn't anything out there that answered the kind of questions that I wanted answers to. I wanted to see a single reference source that had everything in it. So when I sat down to watch an episode, I'd know where I could go to look to find out all the behind the scenes anecdotes, uh, all the little things to look out for on screen, really everything all in one place. And as I say, there's some great books out there for other shows, but nothing out there for Quantum Leap. So that was my starting point. And when you went about the task of laying out the book, how did you envision it when you first sat down to put all that information down? (laughs) I think there were two things that came first. I knew in the back of my head there would be a lot more, but the first two things that I knew had to be in there would be an episode guide of some sort with a lot of information episode by episode. And the part that I knew was going to be the hardest, but the most rewarding for me, which was a timeline. 
you try to pull together a, a comprehensive chronology about a time travel show and you're asking for sleepless nights really but <laughs> that was something that i thought i don't know how that can be done so i want to try and do it and i knew the book would have a lot of other appendices in it and i knew i wanted to go into detail about the comics and the novels and that's one of the things that i felt was really missing from a lot of the other episode guys i found a, a lot of the other episode guides out there focused on the tv episodes with then usually five or six pages at the back with a, a list of the books and the comics as if they were a bit of an afterthought to me it's it's all part of one beautiful universe so i wanted to give everything the attention it deserved well as a quantum leap author for one of the official quantum leap novels i thank you for including us <laughs> the likes of us us lowly peons us writers for hire but let's just focus on the tv side of this let's focus mm. on the actual episodes because some of the sample pages that you gave me i saw that the information for each episode is comprehensive to say the least i mean you have the leap date and the original broadcast date you have the cast you have the writers there's even the blurb from tv guide and a summary of sam's leap in you have cut scenes scenes that didn't make the air notes on even the music yeah and what i found most impressive was was this recounting of the original story pitch for the entry that i read and how that all led to the final script so I have two questions. I'll make it three questions. Number one is, are you insane? Number <laughs> two, can you go through the category headings for each listing and tell us how they evolved, how you decided to parse this information the way you did? And then I guess when we're done with that, we can maybe go into how you got such extensive behind the scenes information on all of these episodes. I mean, who do you know? All good questions. To start with number one, yes, although Kevin can attest to that uh, a lot more. He had to put up always, with me. Always has been, even more so now. Yes. Um, all the different sections, and you've highlighted most of my favorite ones there. It was quite an organic process. Over the last year or so, I had ideas for what I thought would be sensible headings for the sections. And then as time's gone on, I've been bouncing this around with Kevin a lot, and we decided to break some of them apart, go into some of them in more detail. There's a lot of sections that are only relevant to individual episodes. So there's some out there that you won't have seen yet because I sent you a couple of uh, sample chapters, but there's a lot more to discover. But yeah, it was really just what's the most sensible, logical way I can get all the information in there, because that was really all I wanted to do, get all the information in there and separate it out into a way that was digestible and easily readable. Well, it certainly is that. And I was surprised at the amount of information that you were able to fit on just two pages. Can you go over, I guess, the main section headings that you have in each entry so people get more of a taste of the types of information that they'll be able to look up right at their fingertips? So, yeah, we've got about uh, 30 different categories, um, some of which are in every episode, some of which just pop up now and again. Some of the top ones, I think, are the episode synopses from the original TV guide editions from the time. We look at Kisses with History. Uh, we also look at Misses with History, where sometimes things didn't quite add up right. Uh, we've got a lot of cut scenes detailed where we've been able to get hold of draft scripts. I spent a year or so collecting old draft scripts. Now I've got about 40 of them. Ne nearly half of the show I've been able to catalogue deleted scenes. We look at references to pop culture, particularly for our, our non-American readers who might miss some of the references. There's explanations as to the who's and why's. A very long list of goofs and production mistakes, which we look at in a very loving way. And, and a sort of overall section of observations about what's going on on screen, what was going on behind the scene with the production, um, what's going on at the project. Uh, so sort of the, the facts and the fiction side of it. 
Well, that's an amazing amount of information. And if you can just go into how you dug up all of that information, especially a lot of this behind the scenes stuff. One of the, the entries that I read about was on Her Charm. You had an original story pitch, the synopsis for what eventually became the script. So how did you get such detail on a show that's 25 years old that people would actually remember this to such a great degree? Yeah, it's uh, to be honest, I, I surprised myself over the last year or so. I, I wasn't expecting this book to be as big as it was just going out there and doing this research. It's, it's amazing how much has come up. A lot of it's already out there in various different places. I can't give enough credit to the Quantum Leap podcast and Owl's Place, the Quantum Leap website in particular. There's a, there's a lot of information there. So there was a lot of researching and pulling that together, as well as a lot of researching non-Quantum Leap sites, going through old newspaper clippings and so on. I've reached out to a few individuals who haven't been contacted by the obvious places like the Quantum Leap podcast yet to get a few recollections. And as I mentioned, I've been collecting paperwork. I have been hitting eBay a lot over the last year or so. I managed to collect a lot of shooting schedules and draft scripts. So some of it, again, the paperwork is out there. It was just getting hold of it and bringing it into one coherent story. Well, that's no small feat. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> really, how much time went into the collection of data and just the research, the sheer amount of research that you're describing? I started in earnest about 14 months ago, and it has been almost every evening and weekend solidly. It has taken over my life completely over the last year or so. Uh, so I, I dread to count the hours, but I'm not exaggerating. It's been, um, uh, yeah, a, a lot of computer time evenings and weekends that's pulled all this together. Well, it shows. But one thing I noticed that was missing with all of the information that you present, you seemingly don't provide a detailed episode synopsis, just the blurb from TV Guide, and then you move on to maybe things that were changed. I assume that that was a deliberate choice and not an oversight. It was, yes. I felt, although I wanted to present all the information that I could, and for this to be something for Quantum Leap fans to refer to when they had questions about the show or wanted to refresh their memories, that ultimately this was going to be aimed at Quantum Leap fans who would know the show well enough that perhaps a, a short synopsis from TV God would be enough to jog their memories. But the readers will really have seen the show and don't need to be taken through it step by step in that level of detail. Ultimately, it comes down to a matter of space. The book's currently running to about 750 pages. It's very hard to get short-run prints of over 800 pages, certainly in UK printers. So something eventually had to give, and that was what gave. It's given us the space to be able to put in a lot more instead. And I think that's the right approach. I think it makes perfect sense because you're right. Who's going to be picking this up? Primarily fans who yeah. have seen all the episodes multiple times. Yeah. If we can just stick on the headings that you had come up with, were there any that turned out to be pleasant surprises or turned out to give you some unexpected knowledge that you enjoyed? Yeah, I think there's two things that will always stand out for me. There's the production notes section, which is where I've put all the behind the scenes facts that I can find. And there's a lot of quotes in there from the actors and the behind the scenes crew when they've appeared at convention panels and so on. Pulling all that together and seeing how somebody in 1993 talked about an episode and immediately following that up with how somebody else uh, involved in the same episode talked about it in 2005. That was great. And it was lovely seeing how, how all that came together. 
my other favorite piece was where I allowed myself to indulge myself a little bit. I had these 30 sections that were quite standard, but there were also some episodes where I really wanted to delve into something new and different that didn't actually fit into any of the sections. So I allowed myself to be a little bit creative. And there's things like in the Color of Truth episode, there's a little historical piece about Rosa Parks to obviously tie in with that. So that doesn't really fit in with any of the standard sections. But when those pop up through the book, that was an example of me saying, I want to learn a bit more about this. I'm going to go out and and do some research. And a lot of it's more related to the real world than the quantum leap world. Well, that's one of the great things about the series is that it always takes place against a real world historical backdrop. And you do get to learn about bits of history that you might otherwise have overlooked. So it's nice to know that you're able to sort of continue that on in the book. And as you said, um, just a little bit of self-indulgence, but not really because it's an organic expansion of what you see on screen and that has value. So kudos to you, sir. Thank you. If uh, we could move on to maybe the publishing side of this, and Kevin, jump in on these questions anytime. With the book taking shape, how did you assess your publishing options? Where did you think you were going to go with all this information? So actually, the very original draft of Beyond the Mirror Image is still on my computer. It's called the Quantum Leap Notes, and it's about 20 pages long. And I presented that to Kevin in a pub about a year and a half or so ago and said, look at this. This is everything about Quantum Leap. And that was where we started getting talking about actually maybe expanding that and doing something a little bit larger. And it started to turn into a small book and then a larger book and then this behemoth in the end. Well, I think I can date it back even further. I mean, I have an eight-page PDF that you sent me. <laughs> oh, no. The very beginning, it was the same name. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting how this has kind of rolled on and evolved. And I, I think what stands out for me, I had a little session this afternoon with all the old emails. I kind of scrolled back and tried to find the, the roots of this book <laughs> that has completely dominated our lives for the last 14 months. I tried to work out where the hell it came from. I think the seed of the book started when the DVD started to get released, particularly in Region 1, where music was replaced. And it was obvious, you know, we, we'd collected the videos when they were released sort of in the 90s and used started to watch the DVDs and went, these aren't quite the same episodes. The leap outs are different. There's there's some strange editing going on in places. And then I think, you know, for, for the next decade, really, Matt and I would collect every version that came out on DVD or every version that was available to download. And I think that that became the, the first draft, really. And I think it was it was a massive document, eight whole pages detailing, <laughs> detailing the differences that we'd spotted. And I think, you know, Matt's original email to me said, I'm getting tired of trying to remember all this. I need to write it down. So it was not not every episode was covered, but you'd have some episodes, particularly like the pilot, where we, we just remembered stuff. When we went, OK, so on video, it leaped into somewhere different. Uh, on DVD, there's an extra blackout. And it was just sort of these, these little tiny details. I think it's something that just gets in under our skin and makes us think, I really want to have that written down so I don't have to remember it. And I've always got it to go and reference so that the next time I watch the pilot, I can know which version I'm watching. And we've always been obsessed with that kind of minutiae. And we've built whole websites about this minutiae in different programs, Doctor Who in particular, where we we look at you know, insane amounts of detail at tiny differences between programs. So that was kind of the spark, I think. And then it gradually grew where Matt started to add in anecdotes about the making of the show. And I think a real turning point was where Matt started to gather together anecdotes that were contradicting each other. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about this book for me, is that 
in the majority of other books. And I think there's been eight published books so far about Quantum Leap, ranging from, you know, very thin episode guides to quite detailed kind of attempts to tell the behind the scenes story. But they tend to take everything at face value. The first story you hear, you're going to take it at face value. If Don tells a story about how he woke up in the middle of the night and the idea of a quantum leap was kind of fully formed in his head, you go, oh, that's fascinating. What, what, what a great anecdote. And a lot of the books would report this. But then in later years, Deborah would say that Don woke up in the middle of the night ranting and raving and talking nonsense. And she had to talk him down and say, well, what about if you think about it like this? And I think, you know, she started to take a lot more credit for the really important ideas that became Quantum Leap. And so when you start to put those things together, it just makes you really want to write a book. <laughs> or some kind of guide. And I think Matt would probably agree that initially we were just writing this kind of between us and sort of comparing these different sources, comparing these different versions of the episodes, comparing all these anecdotes and facts and putting them all into a initially a sort of episode by episode chronology. And then, of course, Matt wanted to put it into a fictional chronology. And this book just kind of grew and grew and grew. And, and, and there was this point, I suppose, where we realized that it was probably going to be interesting to other people and not just us, which tipped us into thinking, well, how can we possibly risk printing something that firstly, we don't have any copyright ownership of? And secondly, that we don't want to, you know, spend thousands of pounds and have a warehouse of this stuff for the rest of our lives, just because actually, it was just the two of us who were interested in this sort of level of detail. So that's where Kickstarter came in, I think, where, where we where we realized we had something that was probably interesting enough to other people to publish. But we just had no idea of how wide the appreciation for it would be. So the beauty of something like Kickstarter is that you can sort of announce your idea, you can lay out your pitch and say, this is kind of what we want to do. And then you can just say, well, we have a minimum order that we need to make with any publisher here. And we got a few quotes and we worked out that we needed to get 40 books to kind of publish it to the level of quality that we wanted to get to, which would be a, a hardback, pretty good paper quality, some color pages book. And we thought, well, if we hit 40, that's fabulous. But if we run it as a Kickstarter and just let it let that be open for a couple of weeks or a month or something, then that means that as many people as hear about it can place a pre-order. And then at the end of the line, we shut the Kickstarter down and we print as many orders as we need. So if we get 58 pre-orders, that's fine. We'll print 60 books. And it's worked out that we, we have about 40 people, which is really exciting because it means we are definitely going to print. And uh, we're currently at a state, as we record this, where we're just over a week into a three-week window where people can place a pre-order. So right now, we're kind of sitting back and just letting people discover us. We're talking about it quite a lot on Facebook and Twitter and trying to get the word spread gradually. And anybody who hears about it and likes it can just pre-order a book. And on the 31st of August, we're going to print them. So are you telling me that the first run of this book is going to be limited to 60 copies? However many pre-orders we get. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess it depends exactly what publisher we, we look at. There's probably going to be a, always a minimum or some kind of quantity that they want to print you within. You know, you want to print 20 orders at a time or something like that. But I think we're, we're not going to print many more than we, we need just precisely because we don't want to have them sat in our kitchens for the forthcoming future. Oh, no, I understand that. And I guess I'm, I'm curious to know how it might work in the future, because say someone is listening to our podcast and that three-week pre-order window has already closed, can they still order the book? Or how would they go about finding it if the Kickstarter campaign is done? Yeah, tough. Tough? <laughs> <laughs> you heard it, folks. Tough. <laughs> well, we are probably going to find a way to get this out there in a way that would sort of be just perpetually available. 
One of the things that we were initially looking at was a print-on-demand model, which we've done for other books that we've put together ourselves in the past, where sometimes the print run has literally been two copies because it's just something that we know is only going to be interesting to us. Um, And occasionally it's extended to maybe 10 copies or something very niche like that. And these sort of print-on-demand things, you know, they're pretty good. I mean, there's various places you can go to and they're very efficient at printing generally quite sort of mass-produced books. But it was something about the book that Matt started to pull together that had really nice coloured graphs and really good images that were being reproduced in the pages that really, when we started to look at going down the print on demand route, which literally means that there is no warehouse of books and anytime somebody says, I want to buy one, one book is printed. Doing it down that route means that if you want to have those colour pages and if you want to have good photo reproductions, it's going to cost quite a lot. I mean, the, these sites tend to exist so that you can print, you know, a sort of mass market paperback type affair, which is fine for text, but not so great for this sort of thing. So it was looking in the region of £100 a copy if we went down that route. That's a lot of money. It's ridiculous. I mean, we wouldn't pay that. So it was clear that either we needed to look at like an ebook and just say, well, we'll do our own black and white print for ourselves. And, you know, we'll, we'll have a physical copy, but nobody else will. Or it just sort of tickled the idea that, that maybe we should go looking for a publisher that would do a smallish run, but big enough that if we drummed up enough interest, we could, we could print it for real. So, I mean, this is the first time we've ever printed anything in a, what to me feels like a proper publisher rather than a print on demand publisher. So it's really exciting. Doubly exciting because as you've just indicated, this is now a four-color job. This is a substantial commitment for a print to do full color in a book like this. Are they going to be glossy pages? This is just, I worked in a print shop when I was a kid, so this is my print geek coming out now. Oh, great. I'm just curious to know about the detail of the run. It might not even make the podcast because, you know, who knows about this besides (laughs) you and me? (laughs) This is the most interesting bit. Um, I think we're not looking at every page being colour, certainly, but there are points throughout the guide, um, particularly at the start of each season, uh, when, when we're looking at the TV episodes, where a graph goes a long way to explaining sort of how episodes were produced in a particular order, but then broadcast in another order and things like this. We've picked up on the colour coding that was brought out initially for the DVDs and that seems to have stuck even on all of the Netflix and iTunes and now the Blu-rays that are coming out they all seem to be quite loyal to this colour scheme that season one is blue, season two is purple and so on and you know we we love that colour scheme too so we've done graphs that go throughout the book that that honour those colours and um, there's various pages where we just want to have a colour photo rather than a black and white one so we have a quota of a certain number of pages in the book that are allowed to be colour and we can scatter these colour pages throughout the book and so that's one of the ways that we've managed to make this a kind of cut above the printer home stuff that we've done before. Oh definitely that's high end the four colours high end. One of the things that really made us excited about uh, about six seven months ago is that we realised that if we were really going to do this if we were really going to print this book and make it available to people that we did not know which is quite a scary prospect we could actually say well let's let's really go into it head first and give ourselves a cover and give ourselves some internal illustrations and Matt's found an artist online that he really liked so Matt approached him Um, we've since spoken to another artist actually since the Kickstarter campaign began she contacted us and said she was interested so we've commissioned another artist to do another internal illustration we've got a team of proofreaders some of whom we we, you know who are friends others completely new contacts to us you know Quantum Leap fans like Hayden from the podcast who are proofreading it for us we have a designer called Karen who is coming in to actually turn the book into something that looks really beautiful really professional she's treating it as 
a, as a mini project for herself just to get some design experience under her belt, which is amazing for us because our current PDFs that are on the Kickstarter sites and which you've seen are just put together by Matt in, in Word and they look pretty good. But we're excited about how far we can go with the design. And we've got a we've got a website designer who's called Beth who's helping us out with that. So this family has started to come out and uh, we, we, we have a whole team of people who it feels like who are now part of this project. It's gathered quite a momentum. It's great. Definitely. Now, I noticed that the cover of the book is very evocative of the illustrations used on the covers of the Berkeley official Quantum Leap novel series. And I was wondering, did you reach out to an illustrator that did one of those covers? How did that cover come about? No, this was uh, literally, as as Kevin said, an illustrator that I found online who's done some fantastic fan work for Star Wars and Doctor Who. And I reached out to him and I said, he was just going professional at the time. He was just starting to take his work professionally. And yeah, I contacted him. I said, look, I've got a project coming up. Will you do a cover for us? Uh, let me know if you're interested. And he came back and he said, yeah, sure. What's the project? I said, oh, it's, it's a book for this little show. That I, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's, it's Quantum Leap. And the email he sent back to me was screaming with delight. And he said, I'm a huge fan of Quantum Leap. That's really exciting. Very, very pleased to be on board. So yeah, it was great to see that enthusiasm from him. And uh, I think, yeah, in terms of being evocative of the Berkeley novels and, in fact, Quantum Leap artwork in general, I think that just speaks to the fact that Richard, our illustrator, is a huge Quantum Leap fan himself. So he's seen all these things, he's read all these things, and it came very naturally to him to make something that looked suitably authentic. Wonderful. It does look authentic, and it does fit in with the aesthetic that a lot of the established quantum leap ephemera have gotten over the years. Now, I have to ask, because you mentioned this before, since this is an unsanctioned fan project, that means, I guess, that it has to be not-for-profit, as you don't own any of the rights to the material. So how does that work, and does NBC Universal know about the book? Are you afraid that they might sue you? So it's a very good question. It's one we ask ourselves every morning. And I think we are naive about the approach that NBC or Belisarius Productions or Universal or any of the rights holders of Quantum Leap might take on this. I mean, they aren't necessarily going to be delighted that we're publishing a book full of their copyrighted names and script titles and all of that. So the best we can do, I think, is to be very aware of it through through everything that we're doing. So we we aren't quoting extensively from the show. We're putting a couple of small quotes in but nothing more than that very similar to the way that the quantum leap podcast is using sound samples um just very sparingly we certainly aren't trampling on what we feel like is anyone's toes i mean we are in a sense publishing this book because it doesn't already exist we've sat around waiting for 20 years and no one seems to have published this kind of book yet so it doesn't seem likely to us that anybody involved with the show is going to publish a book like this it feels like all of the quantum leap books that have come out really since 1995 when the complete book was published they've all been unofficial and they've they've all been fan publications so that for one gives us a precedent that we can follow in the footsteps of things like another time another place that seem to get away with it and it also i think means that we're we're in good company and that if anybody of course involved with the show has any kind of issue with the book we're not going to be ridiculous about it we'll withdraw it 
from sale if that's what we have to do. But this seems to be something that the rights holders are okay with. And I, I would certainly think that that's because they don't have any real commercial interest in publishing a book like this. It's really heartening that Quantum Leap is still considered to be a property worth putting on Netflix and worth putting on iTunes and worth releasing on DVD again in America just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it's clearly making money for some of the rights holders, for Universal, certainly, who are producing the you know these kind of things, and presumably for Belisarius Productions, who are making money out of it. So there's obviously still a market. And I think if we could talk to somebody about publishing this book officially, I think we'd love to do that. But it seems to be a really tangled web of rights, you know, to the extent that it's often quoted as the reason why there hasn't been a reboot. I mean, everybody seems to be talking about a reboot. And even Deborah Pratt doesn't seem to be able to get a movie off the ground, even though she's always talking about it in, in interviews. Whenever she mentions Quantum Leap, it's always about the Sammy Joe movie that she's kind of had in her desk, you know, for nearly 20 years. And so it seems it keeps being scooped by the fact that the rights are so convoluted and so complicated. We're not legal experts, but we know enough about the way these sort of things work to know that everybody probably has a stake in Quantum Leap, from the channel that produced it to the companies that made it to the rights holders it's since been distributed to. So it's probably a very tricky issue. So yeah, I mean, it leaves us exposed. Any one of those parties could get pissed off and come after us. But equally, I think it probably means that they're all just going to look the other way and go, hey, it's fine. We weren't going to publish this book. I mean, Matt, is that kind of how you approach it too? Yeah, I think, I mean, you, you've summarized it really well. I'll, I'll just add a couple of other things in there, if I may. Um, back towards the start, this was obviously a bit of a cause for concern. So alongside researching Quantum Leap, I was also doing some research into copyright law and specifically looking at what the difference is between reference and review versus actually producing something that appears to be official material. And it's a grey area and there's not really any clear answers, but the main thing is we're not producing this for our own profit. We're not producing this to take profit from anyone else, and we don't believe it will do. And uh, as well as Kevin's mentioned the text, I think it's really important to mention the internal images. We've seen fan publications which have used screen grabs quite extensively, and we are barely using screen grabs. The only times we're using screen grabs is where we have to illustrate something very specifically. So not for artistic reasons, but just if we're saying, okay, actually this caption on the Italian version of the DVD uh, looks slightly different to the caption on the French version of the DVD but we're not using them in, in an illustrative way. So it really is produced as a reference source and a review source as well. Uh, it's full of re review and commentary. And that's really, it's it's an academic book, if anything. Okay, okay. What do you think, Chris? Are we going to get away with it? I think you will. I think that the fan community will stand up in legion to defend you if they come after you. And uh, with a print run like 60 books, at least initially, I don't think that you're going to have much to worry about from the powers <laughs> no. to be. I don't think they'll come after you for that. Yeah, I hope and, so. I mean, the, the very last word on that, I suppose, is that we're not turning a profit on this. The cost that we're charging through Kickstarter for a book is slightly above the production cost because we, we have to account for things like the Kickstarter funding itself and for paying for the illustrations and things that we've put into the book. But we're we're certainly running quite a significant loss, I think, from all of the all of the, <laughs> all, of the all of the eBaying that Matt's been doing over the last couple of years and certainly all of the DVDs that we've been importing from around the world just to check out those captions. So we could look at, you know, running a higher cost and trying to make some of that money back, but we're certainly not into trying to cover our costs in that sense. I think we're being very clear about you know, the, the actual costs of manufacturing these hardback books from the text that we're effectively writing for free. And I think that's that's kind of how we're approaching it. 
Okay, if we can get back to the content in the book. You said that Beyond the Mirror Image will also include information about the ancillary quantum leap material that has come out since the show went off the air, like the novels, like the comic books. I mean, you've even spoken about doing unproduced stuff, fan stuff. How do these bits of ephemera, the official stuff and the unofficial stuff, fit into the overall guide? We have two very clear sections in there on the comics and the novels. Um, so they're treated just like seasons in themselves, essentially. They get their own introduction, overall essay, and then essentially an episode-by-episode episode guide, but for the comics and the novels. And there's quite a chunky essay covering what happened related to more to the TV world from 1993 up to date and all the various different attempts has been to to relaunch it and to get something new off the ground. So we go into a lot of detail about Bold Leap Forward, about Time Child and, uh, and various other projects. So it's everything that we can get in there in a logical manner so that it's easy to find. Yeah, I think we could do an entire hour on just the proposed continuations of the series that are floating around online, like Boldly Forward, like Time Child, and just the veracity of those things. They seem to be half fan hopes and half dropped hints from people in the know, and it must be maddening to try to put all that stuff together. Uh, maddening, but really exciting. That was probably the most fun part of the book for me, was putting together all those bits and pieces from 1993 onwards. And when you went through the monumental task, the gargantuan task of trying to get that complete timeline together, you included all of the novels and all the comic books and all this stuff in that timeline? Oh, absolutely. I have reverse engineered the Quantum Leap universe. Uh, I, I've taken every scrap of information from the novels, the comics, uh, even draft scripts. I mean, it's all noted as such in the timeline. So if you're somebody that doesn't feel that, that draft scripts have a place in the Quantum Leap universe, that's fine. You can see that and gloss over it. But it was really just a matter of very closely watching, reading, listening, everything, and trying to pull it all together. And there's some assumptions that have had to be made. There's some things where there's just plain errors. John Beckett dying in two different years is a great example. And it took me a lot of time to get my head around the timing for the leap back. But you'll see a page on that in the book. And yeah, just really pulling all that together and saying, okay, well, we know that this person was this age in that episode, which means they were born then. So when they say that they remember this happening when they were 10 years old, that means that. And there's a lot of cross-referencing. Maddening, definitely the word. It was certainly quite confusing for my brain. I ended up Swiss cheese towards the end of it myself. I can imagine because in my mind, the chronology was just a chronology of leap dates. Are you telling me that you have the history of every character on Quantum Leap and how they interact across time? <laughs> I did try and talk him out of it many times. <laughs> Uh, any time on the show or in any of the works of fiction that anything is mentioned where you can figure out when it's happened, it's in there. Wow. So Diane McBride's birthday might be in there. Yep, absolutely. As well as, I don't know, Troyan's uh, Day of Death. Who can say? That's insane. Yeah, all of that. You mentioned Troyan. Actually, the Claridges, uh, there's several of their death dates you can see on gravestones in the episode if you watch on freeze frame. Their death dates are in there. That's why I thought of it. Yeah. I see. I was testing to see just how insane you are. And it's 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 a healthy insanity. <laughs> yeah, he's he's completely insane. I mean, this this <laughs> this means that we know their death date. So we know their birth date. So the chronology starts pre 20th century because there's loads of things that happen from characters that you come across in the show. It was even worse at one point. Matt was including every um, what, what <laughs> 
every what we've come to call allusions, where a film or a novel or a record would be referenced within either the show or the books or the comics. So Elvis Presley's songs feature quite heavily in the series. He would put in initially every time one of those records was released and, you know, pertinent facts about the recordings of those sorts of things. And so this was threatening to become a book all unto itself. So I kind of insisted that some of it gets stripped out. So it's yeah. it's, it's it's potentially going to be a sequel book if Matt puts all that stuff back in. Yeah. It had turned into, um, it was more about the history of the world. There was so much non-Quantum Leap stuff in there. Uh, just because Al makes a reference to Sherlock Holmes at some point. So let's mention when Sherlock Holmes was created, that that sort of thing. There, there was so much real world stuff in there. It was diluting the quantum leap bits and pieces. So yeah, I think Kevin made the very wise choice to talk me out of that. And it's still a very chunky section, but yeah, it's, it's got everything. What is your earliest date and what is your latest date? Can you say offhand? Uh, I can say the latest date is 2020. And uh, for fear of spoilers, can you give us the events on both of those dates? I can do. Um, So it starts in the 120s, which is when an oil lamp gets created that Dr. Philip Cooper ends up owning. Are you are you are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? I thought you were going to go maybe back to the Civil no, War. No, 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 no. <laughs> the year one twenty. Yeah. Um, Doctor Philip Cooper <laughs> is uh, for the listeners that don't know um, the character that Sam leaps into in the unmade season five story, The Avenger. So, if you want to ignore unproduced scripts. The earliest one after that is 1620, which is uh, Loch Ness Leap, and that's when the Loch Ness Inn gets established. And the earliest from the TV series, I'm trying to find it, is... Uh, What's that, about six pages in? <laughs> it's, it's, it's several pages in. Oh, no, it, it, this is very good. It's, it's, <laughs> it's 1789, and it is the birth of Nathaniel B. Claridge, there who we go. is on one of the gravestones in Portrait for Troyan. Yeah. And if we go if we go to the the end of the chronology, there's potentially things that we don't want to spoil. Yeah, there's some events in 2020, some very specific events, and then I think I can spoil the, the very last one because it is a bit generic. The final entry is the far future, uh, which is the final scene of the draft version of Mirror Image, where Al turns up in a in a space age bar. I thought you might be there, but that's not really a dateable event. But I I couldn't leave it out there, even though it wasn't dateable. Everything else has a has a number next to it, and the last one is 2020. All right. Well, I look forward to maybe getting my hands on that and seeing that guide because that, as you said, can be a book in and of itself. And maybe that will be your print on demand. That's what everybody else gets for those that don't get in on the initial (laughs) uh, premiere run (laughs) of Beyond the Mirror Image. We've certainly talked about it being two books because the episode guide and the guide to the novels and the comics kind of finishes halfway. And then the second half of the book is the timeline. And actually, when when you mentioned earlier that the actual episode guides, you notice that they don't really have very much in the way of synopsis going on there. And that's kind of because the timeline tells you all the stories as you go through. So the synopsis of the episodes and the characters, it all kind of lives in the chronology, really, rather than episode by episode. Now, did you notice when you were compiling the timeline, and this is getting into the weeds, but that's what we fans love, were there specific dates where Sam was in two leaps at one time? Oh, loads. Uh, yeah, several, um, especially if you start including the novels and the comics. But yeah, even just within the episodes, we have, uh, I think, Color of Truth is one of my favorites because I believe that overlaps with Trilogy Part 1. And I think something else. It's one of those things that so much of this was in my head uh, when I was pulling it all together. Trying to remember it all now is a bit of a struggle. There's definitely one where he's in three places at once, but I cannot remember where it is. 
What's wonderful about that and why Quantum Leap is such an enduring property is that Sam can be in three different places on the same date because he's living along his linear existence. He could leap to the same day every time he leaps as long as he's in a different place. And that's what's sort of wonderful about it. But it's also, I guess, it's maddening when you're trying to put a chronology together. Yes, absolutely. I think trying to put a chronology together as well, where you have multiple timelines, anything involving Sammy Joe or Donna or Alan Beth, it's very complicated. Yeah, how did you get around that? Because there are the original histories and then there are the histories that Sam creates. Is that a separate path in the chronology? Are they, are they noted as histories averted? Do you include those? It's almost as though you've seen the book. And this is <laughs> <laughs> it um, does all of those things. Yeah, it's all very clearly noted against each entry. Where there's a major diversion, which is the three that I've just mentioned, there's a big box out saying, from now on, be aware that there's two key timelines going on. And it's also something that I'm going to be letting our designer loose on to try and see if she can find a way of making it really clear where there's alternate timelines. But for the moment, it's, yep, it's all there. And we have notes that say, in the original timeline, this happened. In the new timeline, this happened. And then some notes that say, well, this happened, but we don't actually know what happened in the original timeline. We just know what happened after Sam had revised it. Wow. That is, as I said, Herculean. Yes. Well, why don't we just simplify things just a little bit? I'm going to ask you the standard question. Matt, what's your favorite episode of Quantum Leap? Um, I'm going to say Return of the Evil Leaper. I have so many favorite episodes, but that's the one that I can just watch again and again and again. Uh, it's it's just, a, it's a, yeah, it's my personal favorite. And how about you, Kevin? It's the next one I'm going to watch. It always is. It changes and shifts all the time. <laughs> Oh, I want that answer. <laughs> All right, Kevin, we're going to let you slide on that non-answer. And um, why don't we reiterate how people can get the book, where they can find it, and how they can go about ordering it. Be quick. Be really quick. We're live on Kickstarter right now until the 31st of August at 8 o'clock. BST, so British Summertime, so that's our time. And we are accepting pre-orders until then for this physical copy of the book. After that, there'll be a period where you can't pre-order it, but of course, there'll be our contact details up there. We'll have a website live by that point. So we'll be laying down the foundations for how you can get hold of a copy after that point, if you're hearing this um, later in the year. You heard it here first, folks. Go to kickstarter.com and search for Beyond the Mirror Image, and you should find their page. Put in your pre-orders now if you can. We'll also include a link to that on our website at thequantumleappodcast.com. And before I let you guys go, is there anything that you'd like to add that we didn't touch on or any final thoughts that you'd like to give our listeners? Chris, I had a question for you, which is, obviously, this book covers your book and all of the other novels and, and, and comics that kind of got released uh, in a way that initially might have looked like it was kind of supplementary to the TV show. But this book really embraces them and brings them all together and says, nope, part of the same world, part of the same story. So, of course, you haven't seen our book. You haven't seen your, you know, the write up of your contribution to the show yet. I wondered how you would like to imagine your, your book would appear. And if you were steering this book or if you were writing your own, kind of how you would try and fit those into the overall story about Quantum Leap. Well, I think it's 
good that you separated the books from the TV show, and that way at least you have a clear demarcation between canon and not canon, because the novels aren't canon. Although most fans love them, they're not going to be anything that you can consider official in the history of Sam Beckett. That being said, I'm very curious to know where my leaps line up with the leaps in the series. And I'm sure it was sort of somewhere in the back of my mind when I was writing the book 25 years ago, but I'd be hard-pressed to tell you now where it fits in in the larger Quantum Leap universe. And to be perfectly frank, I can't wait to get my hands on your book just to see that. I wasn't going to talk about that because this is not about me. This is about you guys. But I have a very vested interest in seeing how you parse all of that information. I could hear Matt flicking through his copy there, trying to find Ke- it. <laughs> Kevin knows exactly which page I've just flicked to. I, I won't tell you exactly how or why, but I've placed your book immediately between Trilogy Part 3 and Knights of the Morning Star. Okay. Well, I did say it takes place sometime after the events of Trilogy, I guess, yep. so far as uh, Sam's timeline is concerned. Yes. But not so much the leap dates. Oh, the leap dates. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, I'm interested in all of it because it'd be like revisiting my thought process that has long since been forgotten. (laughs) And I want to thank you for that, for just giving me a new way to approach something that I had pretty much put to bed decades ago. So thanks, guys. Well, that's fine. I mean, thank you. I mean, we we disagree with you. We think it's canon. Yeah. We think it counts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's to my mind, it's something that uh, obviously you have a different perspective on this as as a writer, and having created all this. To my mind, I went to a shop and I bought something that had the Quantum Leap logo on it, officially licensed by Universal. Whether it's a DVD or a novel, it's it's all the same. Well, I think it might have been more of an issue if the novel series continued on to hundreds of books like the Star Trek series. Yes. Because then it's impossible to keep track of what's canon and what's not if you have so many writers, so many cooks making the stew at that point. I think that maybe, what is it, about 18 books in the novel series, maybe you can fit them in as canon if you want to. Mm. I just know how all this works for Star Trek. That's always the template. And none of those books are canon. And even think of Star Wars. They had the whole extended universe that was supposedly canon, which they tossed now that they have episodes 7, 8, and 9, and all of the prequels and the side stories that they have going on. So, books? Eh. (laughs) (laughs) The people who own the IP, they don't care about the novels. But I'm very happy and honored that you included the novels in this. So, thank you, guys. Absolute pleasure, and it was really great to be able to add those to the challenge of pulling everything into something coherent. Well, I appreciate it. I'm sure the fans are going to appreciate it, and we all look forward to seeing it. Good luck. Best of luck in getting your orders in, and may this book have a long and healthy life and live on in fandom, in infamy. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Wait, don't go yet. This is Chris again, and I just got an email from Kevin saying they've extended the pre-order dates beyond the August 31st deadline we discussed during the interview. So even if that date is passed, you may still be able to get your hands on a copy. Go to kickstarter.com and search for Beyond the Mirror Image for more details.